0: And use the code PEACE for 15% off today. I'm Michelle, recovering yeller, control freak, and perfectionist. I didn't want to be a connected parent, but my strong and smart oldest daughter would not succumb to my bribes, threats, and manipulations. After years of control parenting, I threw it all out and started over. I doubled down on the idea of connective parenting and turned in time out for time in. It's taken me years to figure out how to unknot sticky situations without using punishments, but I've finally cracked the code and now I can help you create the relationship with your child that you dreamt of having when you first decided to become a parent. It's not easy letting go of star charts and bribes, but you can change. Listen in as we interview parents just like us who found success and hear from experts who will help us better understand how to form a deep bond with our children. Welcome to the Peace and Parenting Podcast. Welcome to the Peace and Parenting Podcast. I'm Michelle, and I'm here with a lovely guest. Sarah Ockwell-Smith, who's written many, many parenting books, but her most recent book, Between, is all about kids ages 8 to 13, and I'm excited to hear all about it. So Sarah, welcome to the podcast. Can you tell us just a little bit about yourself?
1: Thank you for having me. So I'm Sarah. you probably here from my accent. I'm from the UK. I live just between London and Cambridge, if anybody knows England, and I have four children. My daughter's almost 14. And then I have three boys who are 16, 17, and 18. It seemed like a really good idea at the time to have them all close together. Um, (laughs) A bit harder. (laughs) Practice, it's a different story. (laughs) I have a checkered career history, but I worked in clinical research for a while for pharmaceuticals. And then many years ago, after my firstborn was born, I started working with birth. So I worked as an (laughs) antenatal teacher and a doula, and I did that for many years. And then started just to kind of like organically, I started to write books about parenting. People were asking for more information. So Between is my 11th book. I've written about everything from sort of pregnancy and birth now up to 13 years. But before this book, I focused really very much on babies and toddlers. So it's like a totally new direction for me, even though as a mum, you know, I've kind of lived through that. And it was weird as a mum of tweens and teens writing about babies all the time. I feel less of an expert this age. I probably shouldn't say that.
0: (laughs) No, I think that's great because you're coming with your own experience, which is what we all need and want. And that makes it authentic. And I feel like I was so drawn to when you posted that you were writing this book or that you're releasing this book. I was like, yes, because I'm I'm in it. I'm in the thick of it, 12 and 15. And it's hard. It's as hard as having the toddler. And and I think um, there's not a lot of support out there. So I'm so glad that you are championing some resources for
1: us. It's really hard because actually, I think it's so much harder than having a toddler. And I don't know if you've got people with babies and toddlers listening. I'm quite careful when I say, because if people are like, this is so hard right now. It can't get harder. And it actually, <laughs> I don't, it's different, isn't it? I think it's, it's not as exhausting physically. You know, you do get to sleep through the night and you don't have to chase around them and pick up or try and stop them killing themselves, whatever they're yeah. trying to do. But mentally, it's so much harder. I I find it physically much easier, but mentally, they just seem to need you so much more. I didn't realize when I had little kids that they would need me so much when they got older. So that was a surprise. I know it really is a surprise because you're thinking, oh, these people can
0: put their clothes on. They can eat their food by themselves. They can even brush their teeth all by themselves. And you're (laughs) like, oh, I've I've made it. I've made it. And then it all comes crashing down at around 11. You're like, wait a minute, hold on.
1: These people are in desperate need of help. Yeah. And it's, you know, and at the point that all of the help for the parents is stopped. You yes. don't have your antenatal classes or your mum and me, baby classes. And well, you guys don't have much maternity leave anyway. But in the UK, we get a year's maternity leave. And you don't get that with nobody says, oh, now your kid's 13. You need some maternity leave because it's hard. There's no help. There's no advice. There's no support. Yeah. Um, I think everybody right. seems to think we all know what we should be doing, but we kind of don't. No. And I think
0: that we go into ourselves and we just suffer in silence with this hard parenting, you know, stage in life. And we don't reach out for help because I think there is that stigma. Oh, you've already been doing this. You know what's going on, you know.
1: But also I think everybody seems to think nobody really knows what they're doing when they have babies and toddlers. So it's seen as really acceptable that you seek advice and seek help. But I think nobody really admits actually it's 10 years down the line and I don't know what I'm doing now. It doesn't seem to be the dumb thing that people say I need help with my parenting. Yeah. It seems sort of like more of a taboo, I think, that we don't ask for questions and we don't ask for help when they get older. Yeah.
0: I work with a lot of parents of teens right now because I have teens. So my whole social group is parents of teens and we need help we need a lot of support. It's really, really hard to have your kids with all these feelings and emotions and you kind of being that place where they take it out.
1: Yeah, so much so. And I think more than anything, it's the age, I think that brings up our own childhoods back again. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you're having to parent your kids, but you're also having to reparent yourself because Mm -hmm. you're realizing that actually maybe how I was raised wasn't so great. And Looking at your own flaws, you know, it's, mm-hmm. I found it much harder to cope with my temper, with my anger mm-hmm. when my kids were older. Yeah, me
0: too. And then you're exhausted. You've been parenting for 12, 13 years. You're tired. Yeah. You know, you're like, <laughs> I can't do this anymore. I'm through, you know. And it's like,
1: oh no, you just hit the show. You're, you're like, you're but on. Also, you know, they're not cute anymore, are they? <laughs> sweet. And when they do something horrible, when they're like two and they come and give you a hug. And they're all sweet, and you smell their head and they smell lovely, and they give you a cuddle. You don't get that when they're taller than you and they're smelling bad. Or, you know, there's nothing kind of sweet and cute about them. So it's harder, I think, yeah. a little bit thankless. I think so too. So tell us about your sweet book. I want to know what are you telling us in this good book? You know, it started, I think. About whenever I've written about babies and toddlers, people have always said, oh, tell us about the next stage. And I've always been adamant that I will only write about things that I have lived experience of. For me, I know people say, you know, it doesn't matter because what I do is I look at all the research and I interview people. So it shouldn't matter that I haven't lived it. But for me, it has to be authentic. I think mm-hmm. when I write books, I kind of write them as if I'm having a chat with somebody like I imagine sitting on the sofa and chatting with a friend. I just really felt like, although people were asking for it, I felt like I had to have lived through the stage and come out the other side with all of my kids before I was writing it. But people have been asking me to write it for ages. But there was one moment, I think about five years ago, I can't remember which child it was, but one of them was going through puberty. And I realized actually I didn't really know anything about puberty, which was insane since I've been through puberty. (laughs) And I remember doing it really briefly for like a day at high school in a biology lesson or something and I found myself googling sort of signs of puberty and what happens at each age and thinking this is insane I'm meant to be this kind of parenting expert and I just don't know anything about it and then I was thinking but you know surely there must be some books that will tell you about and they just aren't yeah so for me it was kind of very much brought home that even the basic like the biological the physiological side of things I really wanted a resource that would say to parents, this is what's happening. You know, there are actually quite a few puberty books aimed at kids. Mm-hmm. You know, there's this care and keeping of you and what's happening to me type yeah. books. There isn't anything that's like, yeah, this is a book for your kids, but this is a book for you of what they're going to go through. Mm-hmm. So I had it in my mind about five years ago that I wanted to write this book, but my publishers really didn't want me to write this book because two things. One, my audience were very much babies and children. hmm and I think for them, it was a bit, well, you write pregnancy, birth, baby, children books. Right. It's a bit of a leap. You don't have that market or that audience. But also apparently books for parenting this age range. So when I say this age range, I mean sort of eight to 13 years and older, historically sell really badly. Interesting. So publishers are really reluctant to take on books for this age range. So I really pushed for this book for many years with them turning it down. Good for and you. Then, you know actually maybe it isn't the right book to write maybe I should stick with babies and toddlers but I think as you said at the beginning because my kids are this age this is the age range I'm really passionate about you yeah, know me too not that I'm not passionate talking about babies and toddlers because I think the whole of childhood is something I will never grow tired of talking about but I just think not enough people are talking about twins and teens yeah I agree and, and I not with a more sort of a gentle or positive or peaceful approach
0: Yeah, I agree. And I think what's interesting too, is that a lot of my followers and community who have young kids, they say, Oh, I like hearing about your teenage stuff, because it gives me hope that things will turn out okay, that I can do this gentle parenting stuff. And it is going to be okay. Because I think we often think like, yikes, if I don't punish them, or if I don't do these things, they're going to turn out as bad people. And that when kids parents of young kids see that model then they have more hope that things will work out okay
1: and it's when you know there'll be i'll have a post on social media that will go quite viral and then i think you probably get the same thing you get you just know that the people commenting aren't the people that normally follow you they're the sort of the relatives the older generations and friends and they'll all weigh in and they'll say something like oh you wait until your kids grow up and if you don't discipline you wait until you have teenagers and i actually really like saying Actually, I have four teenagers and they're pretty great.
0: Yeah, me too. And then, like- then
1: they don't know what to say. Then they just normally curse at you or something.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yes, a lot of naysayers. And I think that maybe that's why these books don't sell well is because people kind of give up in these years. They just say, eh. they throw in the towel, so to speak, and just say, yeah. well, they're just going to be teenagers. And then we find this wedge between
1: us. But there is in a society we treat tweens and teens so horribly no I we're know. really mean to them and there's this expectation that they're all horrible mm. and we forget that we were them ourselves at one point and we also seem to think that they need all this really sort of harsh parenting yeah and authoritarian treatment that yeah i think it's just so we so desperately i think people like you people like myself There's a growing body of people who are sort of working in gentle, peaceful, respectful, attachment, conscious parenting. But it focuses so much on the babies and the toddlers and the three and the four and the Mm five-year-olds. But I think we've got to move the movement on a bit now to the older kids. I think so, too. And I have a lot of new clients who start this stuff in teenagehood with their kids and it works. And it really does work. That's the thing, isn't it? But I think it's also, it's hard work. It does work.
0: Yeah, it's hard work.
1: But it actually is
0: really hard work for us. What are some things from your book that you want us to know? Is there anything brain science-wise or chemical-wise? Because I know there's a lot going on
1: for teenagers here. So any book on tweens and teens, I think you've got to start with parents understanding what's happening physiologically. So there's a whole heap of, like I said to you earlier about talking about puberty, what's happening physically in each mm-hmm. age. And obviously there's talk about hormones, but actually we seem obsessed with hormones impacting yes. behavior in our society. And they actually really don't impact anywhere near as much as we think they do. Yes. The Thank you, please. Thank you for saying <laughs> that. I'm like, I try to tell people it's not all the hormones really, but actually, no, I don't know. You probably hear the same when we boys are blamed all of their behavior from sort of four or five upwards is blamed on testosterone. But what we actually know, if you look at the science, is there's no such thing as a testosterone surge at four or five years of age. Actually, it doesn't start raising until they hit into puberty, sort of 10 or 11 years. But even when you look at the impact of testosterone on behavior, it doesn't cause all the things that we think it does. So we've created this self-fulfilling prophecy where we think boys have lots of testosterone and this boisterous behavior, and we blame it on that, but it isn't. And the same yeah. with girls, you know, we blame all of their moodiness on estrogen and stuff. Mm-hmm. And I, it's not, I, it does impact a bit, but nowhere near as much as people think. So. I know. And so Dr. Dan
0: Siegel likes to talk about that in his, I don't know if you read his book, Brainstorm, but he really debunks that whole idea too. And yeah. I think it's just a way of saying, oh, our kids are acting out. And so that's the reason why. And so we can just
1: let it go. Maybe it makes us feel better. Yeah. I, don't, I think to some degree. And if there is, you know, and you spoke about brain development and there is a there's a whole chapter on brain development in the book. You know, there has to be any book of a covering this age range. And there, what you realise actually is yes, a lot of the behaviour is actually just due to their underdeveloped brains or their sort of their brains that still have 15, 20 years worth of wiring up or connecting to do, but actually Throughout the whole book, there is a focus on their brain development, not being, you know, they might look like us, they might be the same height as us, but actually their brains are very different to us and we must reset the expectations we've got of them. We can't expect them to behave like us. But actually probably the most important thing is not brain development. It's the understanding that there's always a reason for their behavior. Mm -hmm. So what's the cause of their behavior? If they're stroppy, if they're moody, if they're chatting back to us, then actually what's underneath all of that sort of peeling the layers off and realizing what's going on there. Yeah. And I think every time that you ask that, you actually realize that they kind of just need our help. In the book, I I use the acronym TWEEN, which stands for the type of parenting they need, which is tolerant, warm, empathetic, empowering and nurturing. I like that. And it's just really, I think, it sounds really difficult as a whole book, but basically what I'm saying is their brains aren't like owls. Hormones don't have anywhere near as much impact as you think. And there's a reason for all of their behavior. And actually they need us just as much as they did as toddlers. What they really need is you really to love them loads and help them through it.
0: Yeah, they really do. And I think it's hard for us because we get stuck when we view them as yeah. disrespectful, sassy, back talking, and all these things. We get stuck there and we can't see, oh, they need us. They're having a hard time. That's, I think the big switch for me was like, oh, my child's yeah. having a hard time. Now, what do I
1: do? But I think it's harder for people to see that with a tween or a teen because they're not cute. And we treat them really differently in our society. We seem to think that they need much harsher parenting. And it does, you know, said at the beginning, it flips that switch where if your kid, whatever age or sex they are, if they're being rude to you, somewhere inside you, it flips a switch where if you spoke to your mum or your dad like that, and you know that you'd be in trouble. There would have been a consequence. You would have been sent to your room. You would have been told off. You would have lost something. I don't know, but it wouldn't have gone down very well. You would have been yelled at or whatever. And it's so hard to kind of think, that I don't have to be like that with my children and understand actually the rage that I'm feeling is largely because of how I was treated. Yeah. I don't have to repeat that cycle. Yeah, that's a tough place to try to fix though. I don't think you can fix it. I wish that I could say, you know, and on page 47, I give you this great tip to fix it, but I just don't. You know, the only thing you can do is just be constantly aware of the fact that every time that you're interacting with your tween and your teen, actually you're interacting a little bit with your parents and with yourself as a tween and a teen and just being mindful that your instant reaction is probably nothing to do with your child.
0: Yeah, so true. I love that. I love that. Can you give me the acronym again, the TWEEN acronym?
1: TWEEN, yeah. So it's Tolerant, Warm, Empathetic, Empowering and Nurturing.
0: I like that. That's so good. They need that so much. These poor little crazy kids who are just, I feel like their brains are exploding almost.
1: They're just growing and expanding. (laughs) Can you imagine when I wrote the book, actually, it was COVID had just started and I had a conversation with my editor and I was like, how much do I put in about this COVID coronavirus thing? So we decided actually I should put a little bit about it in because we didn't know if it would be over. But I kind of hoped because I was writing it 12 months ago that hopefully things would look a bit better. But I think actually we have to just understand they're the first generation that have gone through this and being a tween at the same time and all that change and that development and how difficult it must be for them. Yeah. For what they've just been through over the last year. So I think we need to be even more empathetic, more nurturing and listen to them even more than I said in the book with what they've gone through. And then it's hard for us because we're going through this pandemic as parents. Exactly. And and
0: we've got all these stresses and it's like, everyone's so stressed and everyone needs so much. And how do we all get our needs met?
1: We don't. There aren't any magic answers, but I think we just have to come from a place of this is hard for everybody. Your tweens are going to yell and slip up and so are you. Yep. But kind of cut yourself some grace and it's about the rupture and repair cycle. I call it the holler and the heal cycle. So when you do holler with them, then you kind of take time to heal together and say, I'm, you know, I'm really sorry. It's hard yeah. for me too.
0: Yeah, I like that. That's so important. And I think you teach them so much about forgiveness and remorse and all of that apology. And they learn so much in those moments, even though you feel like we all go to this guilt place, like, oh, I ruined everything. But I think there's a lot of learning in all that too.
1: You know, if you don't mess up, how are they going to learn how to rectify something? Yeah. Or will they think that perfection is the standard? I do think actually one nice thing with parents of kids this age, I do find that they're a little bit easier on themselves than parents of toddlers and babies who think they've got to get everything right all the time. Yeah. Yeah, well, we already know we've screwed it up so much that it's yeah. you, know, okay. <laughs> was, you just know that you just can't be this perfect ideal parent that you'd yeah. like to be. So no. I think it's slightly easier than when you're talking to parents of toddlers who just want to get everything perfect all the time. Yeah. Mo. I wish we could get that. <laughs> I wish we could Is get it, it perfect. And I think maybe you mellow a little bit with age as you get older as well. Yeah. Well, you've seen a lot. You've been through a lot. It's yeah. like, oh, well, no one's dying.
0: I know that for sure. <laughs> Usually no one's dying. That's probably the Literally, case. Nobody died. We we're all fed. We got through the day. Yes, and <laughs> yes totally. <laughs> oh my gosh. It's so hard. Anything else
1: that you want to share with us from the book? Oh, what should we do? So I think there's the sort of the standard how to deal with difficult behaviours and things like that. But there was a couple of chapters that I think were really important for me to add that I didn't find in any adolescent books out there. So one, there's a whole chapter on money and mm-hmm. teaching tweens financial education, which I think most people know is important, but there's not very much information out there about what should my tween know, what should my teenager know, how do I teach them?
0: Hi, since you all know I'm deeply dedicated to the ideas and principles of connective parenting, and I understand how connection is the cornerstone to cooperation, I'm bringing back my online course, Guide to Cooperation. In this asynchronous course, you while also teaching how it creates cooperation and giving you all the connective tips and tricks to make cooperation organic in your home. You will no longer need to resort to yelling, timeouts, or punishments you will be able to rely on all the connection tools this course teaches. Guide to Cooperation is a four-hour in-depth study, which includes bonus videos on empathy, special time, punishments, and brain science. You will get access to a private Facebook group and two live Q&A sessions. In addition, you will have four modules to work through and five downloadable guides. This course is for kids of all ages and may even help you with connection and cooperation in your adult relationships. If you struggle with getting kids to brush their teeth or have a child who's constantly telling you no, this course is for you. If you love connective parenting, but don't know all the ways to make connection in everyday practice, this course is also for you. Repeating ourselves over and over again can be exhausting and infuriating leave those moments behind, move away from threats and bribes, and dive into a more connected world full of kids who want to organically follow your lead without being manipulated. I've worked long and hard to have a home where kids actually want to cooperate. Now let me teach you all I've learned so you can come to your parenting with more connection, cooperation, and love. If you're ready for more cooperation, go to www.peaceandparentingla.com forward slash cooperation, or visit the show notes or the bio link in my Instagram to find out more and start getting more connected and cultivate more cooperation in your house today. We have a lot of discussion on my Instagram group about, I don't believe in paying my kids for chores but there's a lot of discussion. I don't know where. I'm just curious where
1: you stand on that. No, so hugely believe we got Do you call it pocket money? What do yeah. you call it? An allowance yeah. or something? Yeah, something. So I'm a huge believer in giving pocket money or an allowance, but absolutely not linked to everyday chores. Yes. So if you want a kid to do something, the more you reward them for doing it, the less likely they are to do it. Right. Unless they have a bigger reward. So no. So from very young, my kids all had pocket money. When they were younger, it was weekly because couldn't cope with waiting sort of two or three weeks in between payments. But when they all hit eight or nine, I think it's so important that all kids have regular, if they're obviously, if their parents can afford it, have that allowance or that payment from their parents. As soon as I've given them the money is theirs, they can do what they want with it, which is such a hard lesson to learn to sit back and let your kid waste (laughs) the money you've just given them. Oh
0: my gosh, I've had the worst
1: experience. Yeah, yeah mine would just buy just garbage yeah exactly or <laughs> just something that is going to break in 30 minutes it's so poorly made or I know you won't want to touch that in two hours but yeah. it's so important I think that they learn the value of money themselves yeah. I don't loan money I won't lend the money I, mm-hmm. I think people think I'm really harsh but I think it's so important that they learn to budget If they see something they want and they've spent their pocket money, I'm really mean I won't buy it for them. It's like, okay, we can take a picture, we'll take a note of it, but you've got to wait for it. That's right. I do pay if they are desperate to sort of make more money and their pocket money doesn't stretch, then I'll pay them for extra special tasks. So we keep chickens and we sell the eggs from the sort of outside of the end of our driveway. So... If they wanted to earn some money, they could maybe go and get the eggs, clean them, box them up and put them out and they collect the money and then they can keep a proportion of that. Hmm. Or I might pay them to mow the lawn or wash the car or something. Yeah. But like a job kind of thing, but not making their bed or clearing the dishes or anything like that. That's right.
0: And that's what I was going to say is like, we have chores and you have to do those chores no matter what, but you also get your money no matter what so exactly it's so, okay you have which is really
1: hard and they're really really, really awful hard. and you still have to pay them and you want to say you didn't
0: unload the dishwasher i'm not giving you your money <laughs> yeah. but it really does work over time if you stay connected to them they will do the chores it's not always perfect but they will do the chores yeah and
1: my kids do them and my kids you know out the other end now my kids are brilliant with money yep my, you know, my so they were gone and got themselves a job, an actual sort of outside of the home job as soon as they were old enough. Yeah. And my eldest now, who's almost 19, he's at university, he had saved thousands of pounds for university from his part-time job. Amazing. And he was like, mom, I can't believe it. None of my friends have got any money. You know, they've been working the same amount of me, but they've just wasted it all. None of them have saved it.
0: Yeah, that's so good. But it's because you started so young with this pocket money and they knew exactly. the value of a dollar. And so... They buy the candy five or six times and then it's kind of over, you know, because they don't. They yeah, feel well, that. I don't
1: know. One of them still buys it now at 17, but <laughs> not so much. That's all right. He'll figure it out. They all figure it out eventually. Like, yeah, they do. But yeah, so just financial education and money, I think is so important yeah. that if you haven't raised it with kids by the time they're eight, sort of teenager, I think it's really, really important to raise it then because there are so many adults who are so bad with money. Yeah. So true. We didn't have that education, you know, I don't know what it's like there, but in UK schools, we don't learn about rent or mortgages or tax mm-hmm. or anything like that. We don't either. Yeah. None of that. And you
0: really don't learn in college unless you go into finance. The rest of us just exactly study English or whatever it is and never learn. That.
1: And even things like my kids had to explain to them what a credit card was. So a charge card or something like that. And they don't understand like it's not free you have to pay interest on it so yeah explain to them what interest is yeah I give the
0: kids a credit card that has a certain amount of money on it and they have to manage yeah. it and it's been very interesting for them to pull up their bill and see their charges you know my little one's like I'm out
1: of money I'm like well that's what happens <laughs> when you spend it all the first week honey child like I'm <laughs> sorry and it's- but it's so important that they learn that when they're at home with you and safe with you yeah. rather than when they're 20 and out sort of in the world on their own
0: yeah definitely.
1: Okay, good. What other
0: chapters do you want us to know about?
1: I thought it's really important that there's a chapter in there about raising allies. So, whether you're talking about sort of LGBTQ or sort of racism and feminism, climate change activists. And I think I tried to make sure that the book was as sort of up to date as possible. Yeah. So, there's a whole chapter, and I didn't actually realize talking to my, she's currently 13, nearly 14 how kids this age are so much more kind of in touch with their sexuality than we were at that age. Yeah. And, you know, she's like, oh, yeah, yeah, I've got a friend. She's bisexual. or well, He's pansexual. I'm like, "Whoa, you're 13. You know, how do you kids know this already? I hadn't got a clue. Yeah, they But do. I think actually it's the parents that need to catch up very often, not the kids. Yeah. So it was really important to me. There was a chapter on that in the book. I've spoken with a a lot of parents who said, oh, it seems too young to be talking about being gay or something like that with your kids. But I interviewed lots of adults who, not necessarily parents, but just adults who were gay, lesbian, bisexual, transgender for the book and said, you know, what would you like your parents to know when you were eight years old? What do you wish that they had known to help you through this time? And Hearing their stories about going through puberty, knowing that they were gay or trans or something, but their parents just did not know how to help them. In the UK, we had this thing called Section Twenty Eight. We had this prime minister. I don't know if you've seen The Crown, but Margaret Thatcher, who she was not a nice lady, who was our prime minister, mm-hmm. and she made it illegal for all schools in the UK to talk about anybody being homosexual. So when I was at school. All of our sort of sex education or religious education or anything like that deliberately had to avoid anything apart from talking about just kind of like straight cisgender monogamous relationships. Otherwise, it was completely illegal. Oh, my gosh. Illegal? (laughs) Illegal absolutely illegal until the early two like I think it was 2002 2003 oh my so God. we were raising a point and there's a quote in the book from our prime minister basically she's just saying it's immoral that children should not be talked about these perverse acts or something she was just a number wow. of like And I'm sure, you know, it's not just the UK around the rest of the world as well, but we were brought up. And I don't think we realized that the education we had was so lacking and how difficult it was when I was talking to these adults who were anything from sort of 18 to 40 saying, you know, what it was like for them to grow up in this era. Yeah, you think you're wrong or you're bad or you're doing something that's illegal. And when they sort of if they came out and there were a couple of them when they came out to their parents, their parents would say, "Well, it's just a phase. One of them was taken to the doctor, so like their pediatrician, to see what was wrong with them. It's just heartbreaking. It's so that a lot of their stories and their books, and I said, you know, would have helped you. What would you like from your parents? Yeah. What would have made you feel better? And a lot of them don't really have a relationship with their parents anymore. So it's like, mm. you know, what would have helped you to stay close at the time, but also as you grow? Yeah.
0: So- and what did they say? Mostly just acceptance and...
1: Yeah, it's just make sure that your kids know that you love them unconditionally. But actually, it is about what you say to a child, but it's also about what you say to other people. If you hear like homophobia or transphobia or something, you need to pull people up on it.
0: Yeah, definitely.
1: And watch your own language, and also I know, things like you know the, the messages you have in your home. So things like the TV programs you watch, the films you watch, the books you read. Yeah, it's so be really aware of the society you're bringing them into. Yeah.
0: And And having just acceptance for all of it and no discrimination around any of it. Yeah.
1: And the language, you know, so actually I think almost everybody I spoke to said when your kid is eight or nine and you have a conversation with them about the future, if you're talking to your son, don't say when you get a girlfriend or when you get a wife. Mm -hmm. If you're talking to your daughter, don't say when you get a husband, or when you get a boyfriend, just say something like, and when you get older and you meet your partner and the person you love and stay with for the rest of your life. Yeah. Yeah. It's so important. So there's so many things we say and we don't realize actually how hurtful it could be if our child is gay, lesbian, bisexual, trans, whatever. But yeah, we don't know who our audience is and they probably don't
0: know yeah. either. Sometimes they're just trying to figure it out. And if we give them the idea that we have a judgment, then exactly. of course, they're going to feel bad about themselves.
1: It's it a really hard chapter for me to write. Yeah. It wasn't something I've personally lived through. So I had to interview lots of different people, but I just thought it was really important to add. Yeah, definitely.
0: So good. I love both of those chapters. So important.
1: Well, I'm trying to think what else. Oh, there's a chapter also about transitioning to, we call it secondary school. You call it high school, I think. Mm -hmm. And what I was quite interested in when I was researching is that probably one of the top three or top two stressful life events for a child happens at that age. It's that transition from over to high school. Yeah. is one of, or if not the most stressful life experiences for our tweens and teens. Wow. And I think I'm quite guilty, actually, when my kids went through it themselves. I think, you know, know, they're okay. They're going with a couple of their friends. They've already done the whole transition to school when they were four. Uh They'll be okay. And actually... I think not realizing what a huge step it was for them. And also when they get there and then there's all the friendship issues. Yeah, my daughter's
0: a freshman, but she's been at home this whole time, but they have an opportunity to go back to school next two weeks. But she's a freshman coming in at the end and she's terrified. And I get it. And now that you're saying it, it makes so much sense. This is huge for her. And I'm like, Mm. what do you mean? It's a tiny school, you have friends there. It's okay, but in actuality, I
1: guess you're right. It's super hard. Hmm. they've gone from being the biggest at their school and then the oldest Mm -hmm. into I guess the school feels quite small and now they're going to be the youngest and the smallest in this huge school yeah and everything's different and there's I think there's so many more expectations on them and they're worried about their appearance and they're worried about the people they're attracted to or
0: the people they're friends with or all of these things that are going on that are all new yeah throw COVID
1: in or coronavirus in and makes everything. I feel really feel for those kids in those sort of key transition periods. So those starting school for the very first time, you know, the little kids. Yeah. And then the transition year as well, yeah. who have yeah. missed that. It's too bad. Pretty really hard. My eldest who started college or university and he's missed the whole of his freshest year. Yeah, that's big too. That's huge. I yeah. don't think we realise, you know, all of these just these important transitions that they're missing. Yeah. Poor babies. Yeah, and so school things, and one of the other things, say you've got a daughter. Throughout the book, I really, really hate gender stereotyping kids. You know, I don't believe all the boys will be boys Mm -hmm. and stuff like that. But there's one part in the book that I say actually, I think this is really different and that's friendships between boys and girls and girl friendships. And I talk about the, you know, the how toxic girl friendships can be Mm -hmm. just seem, I put three boys and then a daughter, the boy friendships in the tweenies just seem so much more simple Mm -hmm. than the girl friendships.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. I find too with my daughters,
0: both of them have a lot of male friendships that I don't think I really had growing up, like really good friends that are males. And I think, I don't know if this is because they're more, in tune with their sexuality or more in tune with their gender or whatever it is. But I feel yeah. like things are changing a little bit, hopefully.
1: My daughter is only friends with girls. It can be so difficult. Yeah, it's it's, so, we've so had in. hard moments.
0: We've had really hard moments with that too. And I don't have any comparison because I don't have boys, but we have had hard friendship moments.
1: The boys just seemed fairly simple. Like there would be, maybe they'd fight actually physically fights or something yeah. but then it would be over yeah and with the girls it's just one thing obviously it's in the book as well is the fact that they're growing up now online so mm-hmm. they've got the texting each other or mm-hmm. if they're older and they've got whatsapp or snapchat or something sort yeah. of spending the age you're talking about so actually things that happen at school can spill over into yeah. life outside the school as well. Yeah. And that's really hard. That's happened to us and that's really
0: hard. It's just never ending. The social interaction, it's so long and involved now.
1: Yeah, it's like when I was that age, we would just sit with our phone, literally phone each other for an hour at a time until my parents would be like, get off the phone, it's costing so much money. Yeah,
0: that was it. And then it was over and then you didn't see them until the yeah. next day. Now they're like so connected and talking and so many opportunities for connections which can be good and bad I guess yeah
1: yeah I think with the screen time thing I kind of take a really middle ground I think people expect me to be very anti-screens and very anti-video games and stuff and I think I'm probably a little bit more realistic I think actually they can be really good yeah me too have some boundaries and rules about them but I'm certainly not avoiding all screens person yeah me neither and I
0: feel like at these ages, 15,
1: 16, 17, 18, they need to
0: find their way about it and how much is too much and what feels good and what isn't good. And we have lots of conversations about what's dangerous and those kinds yeah. of things, but then they have to learn to navigate it because it's their world. They're growing up in this world and it's not going anywhere. And how can yeah. they
1: navigate it? And if they don't have it, yeah. How do they? How do they learn? And so we've had so many conversations about <laughs> this may not be a 13 year old boy. It might be a pedophile. And they're like, yeah, mom, we know it's not a pedophile. We just- <laughs> I was like, this is a person
0: in Chicago in a hotel room who's trying yeah. to lure you. And my daughter was like, no, it's not. I'm like, it could be. I know. never know. Could be. And she's like, oh, really? And you know, it's interesting. It could be.
1: It could be. Yeah, We had so many conversations about safety. Of, yeah. Know, they give away any details don't have yeah. like any logos that they can read like a sports team or your school that you're wearing something yeah. like that and don't use your real name and they're yeah. very bored of me when I mention it. it's like yeah mum we know well you're good mama you've taken care of them <laughs> yeah yeah we do <laughs> what we know. can it's, it is really different isn't it raising them it is it's, Even, it's really like, different five or ten years ago Yeah, the thing is, is though my parents were
0: like, MTV is corroding your mind. There's (laughs) women on the TV dancing half naked and they're saying cuss words. And I mean, they were like obsessed and freaking out. And I just think that was our reality. I didn't think it was a big deal. And I think for our kids, this is their reality. So it's not a big deal. It's a big deal to us because we are the foreigners in this world. (laughs) You know, Mm -hmm. this is not our reality. So for us, it's like this huge leap. But for them, they just
1: eased right into it because this is where they come from. I think my parents actually looking back and did a whole lot of introspection on my sort of upbringing. My parents gave me a whole lot more freedom than I give my children. Mm-hmm. So I sort of was raised in a time where it would be, yeah, okay. It's nine o'clock in the morning. See you at seven o'clock tonight. Yeah. Go out with your friends. Yeah. And you have didn't fun. have a
0: phone. No one was tracking you. No. You didn't know. And it was like, we went wild. I mean, I was at the movies every yeah. single night, but I wasn't at the movies every single night. You know, like... <laughs> We were wild and they have a little more, I think we have a little more oversight because we can know where they're at.
1: Yeah. Which I think also then makes us more worried and more risk averse and more cautious. I was actually, I think the opposite I wasn't wild. I was a really good girl. I never broke rules. I was very trustworthy. And, you know, if there was a group of us and they were saying, come on, let's sneak off here, I'd be like, no, don't do that. Your parents are trusting you. I was like, a really. We call it giddy two-shoes, if you have that phrase. But (laughs) but I was like the really sensible good one. But I think I really struggled to let my kids have anywhere near the amount of freedom that I had, even though that I know actually I I was trustworthy, even though they are. Because I think for us, we're surrounded by all this sort of stuff in the media about how dangerous it is. And there's kidnaps and murders and stuff like that. So for certainly in the UK... I know that if you look sort of like a 10 year old in the UK, what they could do now versus what they did in like the eighties the or the nineties, they don't have anywhere near the same freedom. Like we have a local Facebook page for moms and so many people on there say, well, when did you let your kids out without you for the first time? Or when would you? And they're all saying, well, when they're 13, I think I'll let them walk to school. I think I'll let them out. And I'm like, I was seven.
0: Yeah. I was, I was walking to kindergarten. Day. I think.
1: And I said, oh, you know, for me, I don't know, it depends on the child, but when they were nine or 10, absolutely, I'd let them go out alone. We'd have some ground rules and I'd make sure that they sort of knew how to keep safe. It really amazes me that when these conversations come up, these mums on these discussion groups think I'm really negligent because why would you ever let a 10-year-old alone? And they're thinking, actually, you shouldn't let them go out until they're much older What's interesting in the UK, if you look at the road traffic accident data for the kids who are involved in what would you call it? Just a road traffic accident, being run over by a car, being Mm -hmm. hit by a car. The most common age for that to happen in the UK is between 11 and 14. But when they're younger, actually, much less likely to happen, because I think what happens is, is that the parents kind of hold on to the kids, don't let them go out of their sight. And all of a yeah. sudden, oh, you're a teenager now, I can let you go. Yeah, that's a lot of it. they've not done any of that learning, all the sort of stuff about safety. Yeah,
0: it's a whole process and they need to know and figure that stuff out because we're not going to be there to hold their hand the whole time.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And then that kind of leads you on to how much freedom is too much. And then the fact that actually we've spent 10 years keeping this child close and protected. And we've gone through all of the years with the sort of the separation anxiety where they wanted to sleep in their bed at night and they would cry if we put them down. And our whole identity is built around this child's intense need of us yeah and then they get to the tween years and then they start to push you away a little bit and you're left with like well actually who am I without you now I don't even remember who I am yeah it's- and you try to keep them close yeah yeah so it's that letting go I think but also the letting go of them which is hard but then also the what you're left with and who you are when you're not ex's mum all the time there's a whole lot in the book about parents rather than tweens
0: I like that. That's what I think. I keep thinking like, gosh, what am I going to do when these people leave me? I yeah. got to get my life together here and <laughs> like find a I new hobby. A <laughs> Most people get a dog,
1: don't they? It's like, yeah. you know, when your right. kids are getting old. Right. Dog I can because-
0: feel it. I can feel it happening. I can feel them moving away from me, but needing me and all the whole thing. And I'm like, wow, I need to figure out my next decade this is the decade of Michelle. I got to figure this out. Like, I'm going to be- Because
1: you sort of spend so long wanting it to happen. Thinking I just please, I can't cope with this intense need of me. Yeah. I can't wait until you're older and you don't need me so much. And then it comes and you're like, I don't like this. I don't know what to do with the fact that people don't need me. Yeah. Well, you've spent so much time providing
0: for people it's like this break-in period where you're like I want to be my own person and they need me
1: so much and then you finally get used to it and then they leave you yeah. mm. <laughs> and That's the morning clear. I think I wrote a little bit about if it's say Christmas or something and you ordinarily go to the toy store and you buy all the toy and you have you know kids who believe in Santa and then you suddenly realize you're not buying toys for anybody And nobody believes in Santa and it's all a bit sad. It
0: is. We just had Easter (laughs) and I put money in little eggs because nobody wanted to do the Easter egg hunt. And they were like so excited about the money. And I was like, this is depressing. This
1: is so depressing. We had yesterday, but I bought all the eggs for an Easter egg hunt and I just was really tired yesterday morning. And then I said to my kids, oh, do you want an Easter egg hunt? And I text them because, you know, that's what you do when they're yeah. old and they've got their own phone while they're actually going to talk to them. And nobody replied. <gasps> Eventually, I texted again. I said, does anyone <laughs> want an Easter egg hunt? And my 6 year old went, oh, yeah, all right, if you want to. And that was it. To, was
0: it. If you want
1: to. And nobody else wanted to. So I just put them all in a bag and just delivered a bag to their door and just said, happy Easter that's so good I was just, I it. just think that's it then like, Anticlimactic. all the years, all the years where i'm thinking i can't wait to not have to go through all this easter egg hunt i know it's the sadness of just giving each kid a bag in their room of like happy easter <laughs> that's
0: so cute It's so typical though
1: <laughs> so
0: good sarah you are so lovely thank you i want to read your book i gotta order it and read it
1: i really 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 want to I've got to get. Just working out how to get it over to the States. So like yeah. hopefully it will be imminent. I
0: know, Audible maybe? It's in paperback,
1: Kindle and audiobook. Oh, it's in audiobook. Um, okay, I'm going to get it. Yeah, then. but ordering it directly. So it was initially it was just released in the UK and yeah. Australia and New Zealand, bizarrely. But I'm literally talking to my publishers who's talking about getting it at least on Kindle and Audible imminently in the next sort of week or two. Yes. Paperback will be a little bit longer. You can order from Book Depository, which is, I don't know if people realize it's just Amazon, but they just call themselves bookdepository.com and then it's free oh, worldwide delivery. Oh, it's perfect. Rich. It is just Amazon. So okay, you can get a paperback from there. We can, Book
0: Depository. Yes. Okay, I'll put that in the show notes and I'll also put the Audible in the show notes and the Kindle in the show notes so that people. Yeah, can... so Kindle and Audible should be amazing. You know. Amazing. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you so much for being here. I so appreciate your insights. And I just love that the idea of coming to our tweens and being there for them and that we have such similar ideas on it. And I'm so happy. Thank you.
1: Oh, thank you for having me.
0: Yeah, of course. Thanks for joining me on the Peace and Parenting podcast. I'm Michelle and I'm here with Sarah Aquell-Smith and we will see you next time. Thank you.